Look, I'm sick of swiping left and right. I'm sick of matching with men who never reply. I'm sick of sorting through endless profiles of men who like banter and want partners in crime and pride their heights and state their Myers-Briggs personality types and seem to hang out in bathrooms a lot. I hate arbitrarily swiping on people's faces. A pool of hundreds of thousands of eager, smiling faces just like mine, hoping to find a spark, someone to desire them, someone to see them and bear witness to their lives and cherish them. Hoping for all of that beautiful, sacred intimacy on a fucking mobile app. In some cases, it really is just a fucking app, and that really is just what people want, and that's okay. But whatever it is that we want, trying to find it in today's dating scene seems phenomenally hard. Are we trying to find someone else? Or are we really, in all of that noise and chaos, trying to find ourselves? Who knows? Big questions. Today I'm talking to Sashi Pereira, a comedian from Melbourne. I met Sashi at a storytelling night called Neurotica and immediately loved it because I am nothing if not neurotic. Anyway, Sashi told a story that night that she has kindly agreed to tell all of us again on this podcast. I talked to Sashi about trusting others, trusting ourselves, the changing role of women in today's dating scene, and how to define success in life with things other than romantic partnership status. But before all of that, here is Sashi's story. This is Amrita, and you're listening to Heckin' Concerned Podcast. Three years ago, I was dating a boy. We had been together for eight months. It was a long-distance relationship where he was based in New York and I was based in Tanzania. We Skyped every day. Every month, we spent a week together and our long-term plan was to move to Melbourne together at the end of the year. Stephen was my second serious partner before him, I was with someone for eight years, and after that ended, Stephen and I started dating two years later. They were two long, lonely years, and I was very happy to have someone to share life with again. One day, I received a phone call from Stephen's phone. There was a girl on the other side of the phone, and she said, Who the fuck are you? And I said, Who the fuck are you? She said, I'm Stephen's girlfriend. And I said, no, I'm Stephen's girlfriend. So I stayed on the phone with this girl. Her name was Star, two R's, so I already didn't trust her. But over the course of the next 45 minutes, she convinced me that she was indeed Stephen's girlfriend. They'd been together for 10 years and they'd been living together in New York for a long time. We emailed each other photos of us together with Stephen in different places and slowly pieced together the parallel lives that he'd been living. I tried to contact Stephen after this, but I couldn't get in touch with him for a number of days. I was heartbroken, but I blocked him and I got on with grieving the end of this relationship. Then, he arrived at my doorstep. Just like in all of the rom-coms, 
he told me there had been a huge misunderstanding that Star was a psycho ex-girlfriend and that he was so sorry but he could explain everything. He showed me conversations on his phone. He put me on video calls to his brother Danny and I got emails from his mum confirming everything, saying she knew Star was unhinged and she was so sorry for what I'd gone through. And I thought, well, all right. I love this man. We've been together for almost a year. I'm going to trust him over a girl that I spoke to for 45 minutes. So we went travelling for a month as planned. Halfway through the travel period, when we were in the Congo, I felt uneasy, but I also felt like I should trust my partner. We had an amazing experience where we climbed Nyarigongo, which is an active volcano with a spectacular lava lake, and I thought, okay, maybe we can get past this. Then I received an email from my mum, which I accidentally deleted because the internet was not very reliable. So I went to my trash folder and there were several emails from Star. And I thought, I didn't set up an email filter. Who did? I waited till Stephen fell asleep that day and I checked his iPad. There was a game that we always played on his iPad, so I knew his code. I just never checked it before because I trusted him. I found many, many emails that made it really clear that he was lying to me and had been lying to me all along. There were family threads about Christmas and holidays, hotel bookings, flight bookings, emails about rent, their landlord. All of these emails included Star. So I woke him up and I said, hey, I found all these emails. And by this point, I wasn't angry, I wasn't sad, I just needed him to be honest with me. And while I'm telling you this next bit, I want you to remember that he's 35, he's a graduate from Columbia University, he worked for a very well-known development agency headquartered in New York, he's met my family, we've stayed with his friends in different countries, this relationship was serious. So I say, Stephen, I found all these emails. I just need you to be honest with me. And he says, Star is a really good computer hacker and she's clearly just made up all these emails. And I said, look, please, I just need you to be honest with me. You can't, as a grown man, be sitting there and telling me that these emails are all fake. And he said... This relationship is far too toxic and it's never going to work out, so let's just end this here. And I said, Stephen, you have a girlfriend. I need you to be honest with me. And he said, All right, all right, look, I didn't want to have to tell you this, but Star's father is a very big drug dealer on the East Coast and she's in the Witness Protection Program. And I was just trying to protect her in all of this, but now you've gone and ruined it all and congratulations. I still persevered and I said, that cannot be true. So please just tell me that you've got a girlfriend. And that's when he started bonking himself on the head with a closed fist and saying, it's not true, it's not true, it's not true, it's not true. That's when I started to get my things 
left the hotel, and that's the last time I saw him. Hi, Sashi. Hi, Amrita. Welcome to Hacking Concern Podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for sharing that story with us. Oh my God, scary. Scary. I think I've told it so many times now that the effect's been lost on me. Okay. For everyone else listening, I'm sure that they were just on the edges of their seats. I'm so sorry that happened to you. I mean, it's it's fine. It's not fine. It was a very shocking time and it was an awful thing to have happened. But uh, it took me a long time not to learn not to blame myself. I think that's the most important thing that I took out of that. Yeah. And also the fact that now you can mine that experience for... Podcasts. Podcasts and comedy gold. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So you've been... Are you telling it in other comedy venues and shows? Not really. For stand-up, I've tried not to talk about relationships because I think that a lot of people use it as a form of therapy, which is fine. But (laughs) I think I... It's not really a form of therapy for me. So I've just kind of strayed away from using it in my stand-up routines. Okay. But the brief for the storytelling night that I, where I met you mm. was to tell the, the story of the weirdest thing that happened to you. And that was definitely the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me. It's so weird that I don't think people could even imagine something like this happening to a real life person. This happens to people on true crime podcasts or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it happens to other people. Yeah, and like, that was the highlights reel. So there was a lot of emotions in there. There was a lot of crying and a lot of talking to my friends about like, so this has happened and this has happened. They're like, we don't know how to advise you on this because we don't understand how this could be even happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you said you'd emailed his mum. No, I didn't email his mum. I'd received emails from his mum. And then, yes, I'd emailed back and we were interacting online. And I thought it strange that she wouldn't call. And Stephen said, you know, she just doesn't want to get involved in this. You haven't met her yet. It's a bit strange. And I thought, yeah, I guess it's a bit strange. Like emails are, emails are fine. I don't need a phone call from her, mm. um, which is true. I didn't want the first interaction with my boyfriend's mother to be about this, mm-hmm. her mollifying me about his crazy ex-girlfriend. So I guess that I made that made sense mm. in my head. Uh, but yeah, so... I realized that there's no way that because when Star and I were speaking, she said, well, have you met his family? Have you spoken to his family over the phone or anything? And I said, no, Uh, but, you know, we're planning on visiting New York next year and I was planning on meeting everyone. And she said, yeah, well, you know, his parents, I've known his family for years and years. So if you'd said that you'd met his mother or spoken to his mother, I'd know you were lying. And I said, well, yeah, I, I haven't. And that's why when I got an email from her, I felt really vindicated Mm. but it's just oh good like she knows I'm real because Stephen would talk to me as if he'd been speaking to his parents about me and you know I was excited about meeting my boyfriend's parents yeah and um, when I got that email I thought oh great and I was corresponding with her back and forth and um, you know there was a lot of my son speaks about you all the time we're very excited that he's met someone oh my god yeah and then I realized he hacked her email too (gasps) You know, or made that email, I don't know um, which one, but I wasn't corresponding with his mum. I was corresponding with him pretending to be his mum. Oh, my God. It's creepy. That so someone would crazy. go to that extent was creepy. Oh, my God. And this person's still at large, loose still on at, the world. Still at large. It must have taken you a long time to feel trust again. 
Uh, yeah, definitely. And it's still something that I very much struggle with because when you learn the extent to which someone can lie to you, it kind of it changes your relationship, not just with um, in uh, partner relationships, but with people around you. Mm. You just start trusting everyone a little bit less. Yeah. People are scary. And the scariest thing is you can't actually tell what somebody's going to be like. You think that, so you were with this person for eight months. Yeah. You would think eight months is enough. And it's so scary to realize that it's actually your hormones yeah. that are faking that sense of trust. That if we were devoid of any lust and hormones, yeah. we probably would have a much more sensitive bullshit meter. You would hope so. And I think that uh, for a long time, I kept combing over and over it in my head, seeing, thinking, where was the sign that mm-hmm. I missed? Where, you know, I go, went over every single interaction that we'd had thinking, where was it that I missed it? Because he used to Skype me from his apartment every day. Where was Star when so all that was happening? Just kind of like, yeah, when did this happen? How did Ooh. this happen? You know, And then you realize you spent an hour on a video call with him, but there are 23 other hours in the day. Mm. So there's a lot that can be happening outside those hours. But as when you're in a loving relationship, you're not supposed to be thinking that they're spending the 23 other hours with someone else. So yeah. it's just something that didn't even occur to me. And then once that happened, it took me a very long time to yeah, trust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And definitely, you know, when someone that you have trusted and loved and communicated with is telling you that, you know, these thoughts that you're having are crazy, Mm. that's very hard because your rational mind is telling you one thing and then your in-love brain is telling you another thing. And I think I'd heard so many stories of people that this had happened to and I always assumed that they were a little bit dumb. (laughs) And then it happened to me and I was outraged i was like how could i'm smart i'm a lawyer i was in tanzania because i was working for the un and that just you know that showed me how prejudiced and stupid i was Mm. to be having to have had that that idea in my head that this only happened to stupid people it's so brave of you to come out and tell your story to people and risk that somebody else might think what a stupid girl she is oh someone's probably thinking it right now like what an idiot and (laughs) i would say i was you before this happened to me we've all been you (laughs) you know it's just that it happened to you in a very extreme form yes and but it's happened to all of us and in like everyone's been in a crap relationship Mm mm-hmm And when it breaks, you think, oh, man, I stayed in that way longer than I needed to. And the same thought process. At what point did it start going south? And I didn't even realize. And at what point should I have known that this person was not even for me? Like, I I shouldn't even have, like... I shouldn't have given him the time of day. Yeah, You know, like, when, when Star phoned me and we spoke to each other for 45 minutes and... We sent those emails back and forth where, you know, she showed me photos of their lives together, the cat that they had together that I didn't know they had. There was a cat? There was a cat in the apartment and I didn't even know. She was like, and this is our cat. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> what kind of psycho doesn't acknowledge a cat? That, oh, my God. Uh, so that was just really weird. It was just a whole nother life. And um, the reason I started talking about it was because... When he first came to Tanzania um, to, you know, that romantic gesture of sweeping me off my feet and apologizing, um, he, I told him, you know, well, I've been talking to all my friends about this and they, they think you're lying. He said, 
you told your friends? And I said, of course I did. And he said, I just thought you would have been too embarrassed to talk to them about this. Whoa. And I said, of course not. You're supposed to trust your partner. Why would I be embarrassed if all of this was true? And then later after I found all those other things, I realized that he's probably done this a lot before. And the way that people get away with this kind of behavior is by relying on the fact that everyone will blame themselves, be embarrassed about it and not talk about it at all. Yeah. So I thought, well, bugger it, I'm just going to talk about it and everyone <laughs> can think I'm stupid and that's, that's fine. That's so good. I'm so glad that you <laughs> didn't, you know, allow yourself to internalize the shame he was trying to pass on to you. I, You know, to be honest, I think I did for quite a while. Mm. Um, and it took me quite a while to come to terms with what happened and mm. move on because... Now it's just this crazy story of something that happened to me. But at the time, that was my boyfriend that yeah, I thought yeah. that I was moving to Melbourne with and that kind of future that you'd envision for yourself. And not that far into the future, you know, I wasn't thinking marriage and babies. I was thinking it will be really nice to move to Melbourne with a partner and start a life here. Mm. Uh, and then to have all of that disintegrate again, like the time that after you come out of an eight-year relationship and have that kind of future you envision fall apart again was hard. Mm. It was really hard. Oh, I can imagine. Where did you meet the psycho? <laughs> Tinder. <gasps> no. <laughs> Sorry, Tinder. But, you know, we met on Tinder and then went out on a couple of dates okay. and then uh, we stayed in touch for quite a while. Were you in New York? In, no, no. I was in Tanzania. Okay. And he, he came to Tanzania for work mm-hmm. quite frequently and yeah we went on a couple of dates he seemed really sweet I didn't think that it was going to turn into anything more and he was the person who really pushed for it and I thought okay I've got someone who's really interested in me I've waited two years to start another relationship I think I'm ready I'm gonna do this and then when it all fell apart I thought oh my god never dating again have you ever been back on but no, but now you have a partner, Charlie. Yes. And you met him online. I met Charlie on Bumble. Okay. And I mean, that's the reality of dating in your 30s. Mm. Uh, when I moved to Melbourne, I had a lot of friends that I'd known from Perth, where I'm originally from, and they all have partners. Mm. You know, I was that, I was I was Bridget Jones at dinner parties. You know, you go and everyone's got their arms around each other, like, hi, yeah. you can find love too. And um, I went to, I was involved in a lot of different things. I played a lot of different sports. I So I joined random sports teams. I went to heaps of gigs, did a lot of different things to kind of really get into the city. But to meet someone single in your 30s, mm-hmm. if you're not using a dating app, very rare. It is. You try and do all of these things to distract your mind from the fact that you are horny as hell. <laughs> and then you don't you don't want it to be about the fact that you're horny. You're like, no, I I cannot pander to my base needs in that no. way. Yes. I shall <laughs> further develop myself by taking a pottery class. That's gonna be fine. I shall have all of these phallic moments running my hands up and down <laughs> lumps of clay. <laughs> uh, no, but that's always for me, you know, I don't want it to be just that I'm horny and I want to have somebody that I can reliably, you know, get stooped by. Mm. But stooped. <laughs> Great word. Great word. <laughs> but um, it, it is that. And I, 
there are other things as well. Like there is a genuine desire to be seen by somebody and appreciated and respected. Oh, yeah. And also, you know, when I was in the eight-year relationship, my partner was my best friend. Yeah. Your mic just fell on you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I think that my mic got a bit excited with all of this talk of stripping. <laughs> um, no, my, my partner was my best friend, you know, and it was really sad that that didn't work out, but it's for the best. We've, we've both moved on. We're both happy now. But um, he was my best friend and I really wanted to find that again. Mm. I knew what it was like to wake up with someone that you loved and to be loved by them and you make your plans for the day and I just really miss that mm. and I also knew that you couldn't get it with just anyone mm-hmm. and kind of having that knowledge of what it felt like and not knowing if you'd have that again and then also not wanting to get hurt but knowing that you couldn't have it if you didn't get out there and start dating some different people and see what's going on um it's a weird place to be in and in the middle of all of that you're getting targeted ads from Instagram and Facebook <laughs> saying, should you freeze your eggs? Do you want children? And all of these things. It's just a lot of things to deal with when you're single. And everyone 30. is having babies. Everyone's having Everyone babies. is having photo shoots with bald baby girls wearing pink headbands. Yeah. And you're like, I can't find someone to go on a second date with. <laughs> I can't make a human. I'm in no place to make a human with anyone. Exactly. You just resign yourself to the fact that you will be somebody's baby's cool auntie. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, it's just it's. Not all set up to make you feel like a failure, but that is what I felt like for quite a period of time mm-hmm. before I learned that being single was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, if And I got to this place where I thought, all right, if this is all I get, and this is before, like now I'm in a very happy relationship with a very, very lovely person. But before I met him, I'd gotten to the stage where I thought, okay, if this is all I get, it's still a lot. I have a family who loves me. I have an incredible network of friends. I do a whole bunch of different things. I have a good job. I like my life. If this is all I get, then okay, I'm going to make the best with what I've got. It's very telling of the changing role of women. Yes. uh, And changing gender roles. Yeah. Because we grow up with stories of like literal princesses that did nothing except sit in their palaces or in one case even sleep. Just chill and they'll come. They'll come. Yeah. They'll make all of the effort to wake you up, give you a kiss, woo you, climb balconies and windows and you have to do literally nothing except exist. Just chill (laughs) and they'll come. And also, you know, being a spinster is not glorified. One night I got home really drunk after a night out and I thought, that's it. I'm going to change the narrative around spinsters. Mm. And I made a bid for spinster.com.au. Um, <laughs> completely forgot about that. And then woke up in the morning and they were like, that'll be $5,000. And I'll be like, I was, I said, what about $50? Can I, give, <laughs> can I give you $50 for that website? But, you know, being a bachelor is a really, it's a good thing. Right. Bachelors. It means you've got control of your life. Mm-hmm. You've made all your choices to stay single. You've got your cool bachelor pad. No one talks about a spinster pad. No. You, they talk about spinsters with cats and you eventually become the old woman that lived in a shoe. You Spinning know? yarn out of cat hair. Yeah. On a spindle. Yeah. As a spinster. <laughs> it's, it's so sad. Like it there's is. no other narrative around. And I know friends who chose to stay single. You know, they don't actually want to be in a relationship. And I genuinely believe that. But so few people actually genuinely believe that you can choose to be alone. Mm. And for me, that wasn't my choice. I actively wanted to find someone to share my life with. But 
you know, you should be allowed to make that choice. It's so mm. strange. Mm. I think a lot of people are in relationships because they're afraid to be alone or because there is no other... They're afraid to be considered failures. Yeah. Yeah. And it took me as well. Until I was 30, I couldn't say, you know, I'm single, but I'm happy. It's not I'm single, but I'm happy. It's Mm -hmm. single and I'm happy. Mm -hmm. And I'll, you know, I'll find somebody to share my life with if they come along but yeah. if not my life is still going on if exactly not, as it my is. life is full i don't need anyone to complete me mm. and i i just sat down and i just wrote a list of everything that i had mm. i had my health i had family i had shelter i had all these things that so many people around the world are dying for mm. um and then i thought all right I can do this. Good on you. I don't know. And it's probably because Disney's told me since I was five that I really needed a man Mm. for life to be complete. Mm. Not just Disney, like your parents. Yeah, I can't blame Disney. Sorry, Disney. I love Disney. (laughs) (laughs) Like society. Everyone tells you that if you're a woman uh, past a certain point, you're approaching your expiry date. Spinsterhood is akin to suicide. But if you're a man and you're a bachelor at 40, you're just a grey fox that's, you know... Made his choices. Made his choices. concentrated on his career. Yeah, there's something noble about a man who's decided to focus on the higher things in life, like, you know, his career, his education or whatever it is. Yeah, and when women do the same thing, I think they're seen as quite selfish. Mm. or um, As sad losers who couldn't find anyone else and they're frustrated. Yeah, and it's just a really, it's a shame that that's the narrative more than anything because mm. I think it really freaks a lot of women out. Yeah. Damn the patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it it's like there is no reason why a, a woman being single should be considered any less than a man being single except... That patriarchy tells us that an unclaimed woman is like a landmine waiting to go off. Yeah. <laughs> or is one that already went off and is just in pieces. Or is one, yes. Yeah. Yes, now her uterus is just dust. Yeah. And I think your married friends as well, they forget what it's like to be single. Like mm. I had so many friends just saying, you know, they'd say, oh, what's the latest on your, on your life? And I'd say, yeah, I went on this date, didn't really click, but, you know, maybe the next one. And they said, Sasha, you're looking in all the wrong places, you know? all the wrong places. And I said, where What? Where do you think I should be looking, you know? What? This isn't high school anymore. This isn't university anymore where we get a whole pool of eligible men mm. just hanging around waiting to meet their partners. This is everyone's partnered mm-hmm. and most people are partnered and the single people are kind of trying to figure out what's going on, find their footing, and it's women and men. But, um, yeah, I eventually... They got me to join eHarmony and that it was um, you had to answer heaps of questions. Mm. And then at the end of it, they were were like, "Okay, cool. So that'll be three payments of twenty nine ninety five or something like that. I can't remember how much it was. And I thought, no, I don't want to pay for this. And then they said, Sashi, it's your future. No. How? (laughs) What? How how much are you willing to put a price on love? And I was like, well, there's the price. I don't want to pay it. I have also had this. My mom has actually paid for a personalized matchmaking service on shadi.com. Wow. Which is an Indian matrimonial website. Yes, okay. I don't know if it's shadi.com or jeevansadi.com, but there are many yeah. such matrimonial websites. Yeah. And you can just join the free version or you can pay to have a 
matchmaker professionally match you up with idiots. Uh, yeah, excellent. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, what you could be doing for free, you mm-hmm. just pay somebody to do it. Yeah. And I'm I just so angry at the fact that it's now come down to me having to pay somebody. Yeah. To help me find dates. Yeah. Like am I that pathetic that I have to like shell out money? I honestly don't think it's a case of being pathetic. I think it's a case of the older you get, the smaller your friendship circle gets. Mm. And the lower the chance is that you're going to meet someone outside your friendship circle. Mm. And the thing is, in your friendship circle, if there is a boy who is single or, you know, whatever your um, sexual preference is, if there is someone who is single, there's a reason that you haven't dated each other. Mm-hmm. You know? there's, a, there's a reason. It's not like you're suddenly sitting there and you're like, Tom. How did I not see him for 15 years? That happens in rom-coms, but like hardly ever in real life. So it's not, it's just a case of being unable to meet someone outside your social circle. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what makes apps so attractive because you don't know who you're going on a date with. And there's something really exciting about that. Mm. But also there's much lower accountability unless you have mutual friends because you don't actually know about that person's life. Mm. Um, In fact, there's such low accountability that you might match with them and they won't even reply. Yeah. So there yeah. is no stakes to this at all. Yeah, and there's that's the it's a double-edged sword. Mm. There, there's huge benefits in that you get to step completely outside your social circle. Mm. And my partner and I, like, we talk about that. Would we have ever met each other if not for Bumble? Mm. And the answer is we don't know. We mm. go to – we love the same types of music. We – play sports we had a couple of mutual friends uh, but we are we have so many likes in common and so many dislikes in common but still I don't think that unless that algorithm had matched us up we would have met Mm. so true but also the thing is when you're an older person who's single you're so comfortable in -hmm. life Mm -hmm. that if you're at social situations you don't want to uh, in any way inconvenience yourself by having to go and talk to a stranger. Yeah. You're at a music concert or whatever and you see somebody handsome there and you might just go, hmm, yummy, but you... And then you're like, are, you, are they married? Do yeah. they have kids? Don't know. There's no acceptable way to approach someone approach them. after 30. But also you're like, I'm having such a good time right now and, you know, I'm kind of hungry and I really don't want to make the effort of having to walk up to that person and make conversation and make small talk. <laughs> <laughs> you know? At that point, you're comfortable and there's no hunger. The young people have this driving force of, you know, really well, wanting. Also, young people generally haven't been disappointed as much as we have. Right? True, true, true. By 30, you've been disappointed a lot. And it's really hard to keep getting back out there. Yeah, yeah. And you have to talk yourself into it every time. And then when you're out with your friends, the last thing you kind of wanted to do, want to do is get shut down. And again, with the apps, that's what it gives you, right? It gives you that freedom of not really getting shut down like Mm. yeah it sucks if someone doesn't message back but you can move on pretty quickly from it it's a lot less scary than going up to someone in a bar and being like hey do you would you like a drink yes so yeah you can do it in the comfort of your house takes that fear completely away right yeah there's a screen Mm. separating you and you can tell yourself you know just the way you swipe past hundreds of people yeah it's you know and it's nothing personal Whereas if you get shut down by somebody in real life, they've seen you, all yeah. of you, and yeah. yes, the and, risk is higher. Yeah, and it used to be you had to do that mm. because that was the only way to do it. 
So you pushed yourself to go do that over and over again, whereas now you're just kind of like, eh, didn't work out, that's all right. Mm. There's many more waiting in the Tinder or Bumble Bank or mm. Hinge Bank or whatever it is. Yeah. Have you been to therapy? I have. I started counselling when I arrived in Melbourne. Back from Tanzania? Yeah. Okay. Just to kind of work through a lot of different issues and especially trust issues. Yeah, and yeah. Some issues you can't work on until you're in a relationship again because they don't come up until you're in a relationship yes. again. So I've been dating my partner now. We've been together for almost nine months. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, the, we've, we moved in together two months ago and I just – it's – hard it's hard um living with someone again and trusting them Mm. again you know trusting them not to break your heart yeah yeah, again and that sounds like a very cliche thing to say but it's something that you struggle with longer than you should i think or you think you would yeah i'm very lucky to be able to afford counseling Mm. uh for for as regularly as I needed it, especially when I first got here. Yeah, absolutely. And that was two years ago. Even after you've been doing counselling for quite a while, the first stage is self-awareness. So you have the awareness to know what's going on around you, but you still can't respond to it. Mm. You don't, the aware, just being self-aware takes so much time. Mm. Why am I feeling this way? Why am I responding this way? Mm. Why am I acting this way? All of that takes a while to figure out. Mm. And then the next stage is controlling that or living with that. Mm. So right now I'm in this self-awareness stage where I'm like, I'm so sorry. This is why this is happening. This is why I'm being crazy right now. And he's like, okay, could you just not? <laughs> and I'm like, no, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to not feel like this. Yeah. But being able to articulate how I feel is a new thing for me. So and that's, that's like half the battle nice. won, right? Yeah. Being able to communicate the reasons for your feelings. Yes. Or... Yeah. And I think society teaches us to qu- quench our feelings quite mm. a lot. Apart from the loved ones, if you're feeling any anything negative, if you're feeling, you know, it says be happy, be happy, be happy, be happy all the time. And it's actually not. That's not a realistic way or sustainable way to live. You can't be happy all the time. Mm. Being sad is okay. Being angry is okay. Mm. Being irritated is okay. You can be that. You can feel that. Just control it. That's Mm. all. It takes a lot of courage to introspect and identify our problems and not let it bring us down, not let it make us feel like we're broken and still have some hope that this relationship will be fine. Oh, I have I have no doubt that it'll be fine. I just um I wish people would talk to each other more mm. about how they were feeling in relationships and not mm. just their one friend. I think that is a mistake that we make because mm. people see it as airing their dirty laundry mm. whereas I've been very open about my journey mm. <laughs> of what I've learned in the last couple of years and things I never would have learned if I didn't take the time to just stay in one place mm. and learn about what is going on, why I act the way I act, why I respond the way I do. And it's not been easy. Like it sounds like a brave thing to be doing, but to be honest, it was something that I had to do Mm. if I wanted to have a healthy relationship again. Yeah, absolutely. It's not easy at all. I myself uh, see a psychologist and have had many moments where there have been complete breakdowns at home Mm -hmm. in private with me going... I am a terrible person. Mm -hmm. These are my triggers, but this is also the way in which I'm dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, this is what, this is the part I play 
in my bad relationships. This is how I've hurt my partners. Mm-hmm. And that is, it's not easy to have that that kind of uh, breakdown. And But it happens when you're doing, when you're going to therapy and you're starting to learn and become aware of all of these things. Mm-hmm. It's very confronting and you have these little breakdowns frequently throughout the path. Definitely. And I think there's a lot of regret and there's a lot of guilt that mm. comes in with not just even how you've treated your partners, but sometimes your family, sometimes mm. your friends, your like, oh, that's what happened with that relationship and that's what happened with that relationship. That's what keeps happening with my mother. Mm. Um, but once you start becoming aware of it, there's so much you can do to start taking steps to, I keep saying control, but I don't really mean control, just manage. Yeah. Yeah. No, but you have said the word control quite a lot. Yeah, I keep saying control, but I, what I, I think I mean is manage because you can't control being sad. You yeah. can manage being sad. Yeah, yeah You yeah. can manage being angry. You can manage being irritable. Um, yeah, controlling is, I think, the wrong word. And I think what, that's what society tries to tell us to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But are you a perfectionist? Do you like to control? 100%. Yeah? Yes. That, okay. that's, uh, that's, a, that's a lot of things that come up in counselling. Are you yeah. trying to, like, make yourself completely, like, free of any issues? You're making yourself fully functional it's um it's hard like the uh, my psychologist is wonderful I think that's what most people would say about their psychologist like a person who is obligated to listen to you rant for an hour um but it's a very you know for me I don't know if it's other people relate to it but you're brought up to see the world in right and wrong black and white very and that's how I sorted the world out in my head which means that any time I cross over into the bad, that means everything's bad, mm. everything's terrible. If I do something wrong, I'm completely wrong and bad and terrible. And the problem with seeing the world in such a dichotomized way is that it's not true. Mm. Good people do bad things, bad people do good things. There's a whole scale between good and bad, and you can't just keep sorting it into one box or the other. Mm. But when you've been doing it for such a long period of time, mm. it's very hard to stop. Right. And it's very hard to accept the unpredictability of a relationship, of another person's reactions. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. And even if you're happy, you even if the relationship is going well, you don't really ever truly know another person because they're evolving as well. Mm -hmm. And all you can hope is that you evolve together. Mm. But also you can also just be I could also just be happy that for this moment in time and for however long, I've found someone who makes me so happy mm. and I'm in a lovely place in life. And, you know, the last time I planned, tried to plan my life 10 years ahead, didn't work. And the next time after that, tried to plan 10 years ahead, also didn't work. Mm. Why can't we just be happy with what we have in the present moment in time? Because that is radically different than everything we've been Taught. taught yeah you know the idea of forever is drummed into us this is happily ever after yeah let's kill the fairy tales yeah kill the fairy tales they're not serving us anymore let's stab no. them dead yeah kill the fairy tales and talk about real life and the other thing that the way i find hope is just being aware of my own uh dreams and so when i feel disheartened after a bad date or if i've been seeing somebody and then it didn't work out i i take comfort in my own dreams like I'm at bed uh, in bed at night I sort of cradle my ambitions and I go I still have (laughs) I still have you 
I still have you, my brains. I still have you, my dreams. I still have you, my career path. And that makes me complete as a person, you know, or rather not having a partner doesn't make me incomplete. It's just another detail yeah. of my rich and beautiful life. Yeah, and I started to, um, I lived in a seven-person share house at the time that I met my partner, you mm. know, I... Your current partner. Yeah. Okay. And and I moved in there very consciously. I lived alone previously, but I moved in there because I wanted to be around people. I like people. And I didn't have family here, so I... Um, none of my immediate family lives here, so I wanted a home to go back to. And, you know, when I used to come back from a bad date, especially if it was a second date, because mm. you kind of get your hopes up after yes. the first one. Mm. And you're like, wow, that was a great first date. I'm so excited about the second date. And then I remember coming home really disheartened. And it felt like I was never going to meet anyone. And I'd come home and I'd write down a list of the things that I was grateful for and say, this is enough. If this is all I get, this is enough. Yeah, yeah. Like I was recently on a second date. And I had the same feeling as you, like, this is the second date. I'm allow allowing myself to feel a little bit of hope. And then I got into an argument with the guy about <laughs> feminism and patriarchy. Yeah. It was somebody that didn't believe that patriarchy exists mm -hmm. and was not able to understand why feminism has the has femme. Yeah, because as a they're prefix. like, um, yeah. you can vote. What's the problem? Right. I mean, <laughs> it, he was very supportive of the idea in general, but didn't understand that patriarchy uh actually has played a very important part in the status quo. Mm. And I, I, I delivered like a lecture, yes. you know, I got on my high horse and I was looking really good that day. Yeah. Like I was looking <laughs> fine. I'd done some sort of, you know, experimented a bit with my look and I had on like these powerful hoop earrings and uh, off the shoulder black dress. Ooh, very powerful. Very powerful. Like mm. I was feeling myself. And then I delivered this diatribe. No, I, you know, I sort of unleashed on him. And afterwards, I felt a little shit for a while. I was like, great, I've screwed it up again. Yeah. You know, uh, and then, but as the evening wore on, I thought, hey, this is such a beautiful thing. Like, I've stood up for what I believe you in. You actually talked about what you cared about. Right. And I had the courage to stand up for what I believe in. My voice didn't shake when I spoke. Mm -hmm. I spoke with clarity and I spoke with sincerity. And I'm still looking fine as hell. And I'm now a woman that is very smart and... Which you're also, you know, um, being beautiful is much more important than being smart in society. You know, right, like yeah. when you see a friend, you're like, oh, you look so pretty. It's yeah. not, not, hey, that was really smart what you just said. Yeah, exactly. People just compliment you on your looks. But I, I took comfort that night in the fact that I'm going to be okay because... I have my wits about me and I have my bullshit detector on my radar mm -hmm. and I can stand up for myself in life situations and I won't settle. Dating someone when you're in a headspace where you're just irritated, not necessarily at men, but just at all the bullshit that mm. you have to go through being a woman from the time that you were born is very, very disheartening. Yes. And it's very hard to... Um, keep hearing the news one thing after another mm. you know of all the things that are going wrong but at the same time you're raising up we're raising a whole new generation mm. you know you're we're looking at girls young girls who are growing up in the time of the me too movement how amazing yeah 
you know, where they're now teaching consent properly in schools or they've actually started bothering to try to do that. Absolutely. Um, And that's only going to get better. So I think that gives me a bit of hope. Yeah, yeah, it definitely gives me hope too. I think you also feel whenever the subject of feminism comes up, I I always feel a bit uneasy because I think, oh, no, like someone's going to be listening to this podcast and they're going to send us hate mail or something like that and just say, nah, dirty feminists who don't shave and don't wear bras. And you're just like, no, it's not that. We just want equal pay true or you know the right to make choices absolutely no but it could also go the other way sometimes i worry about talking about feminism because how can you like this is a whole nother podcast this is a completely different topic but you know how can you be a feminist but also uh talk about wanting to be desired in a hetero relationship yeah yeah or you know um accept that feminism isn't perfect uh and so you know i i I really, I'm happy that we talked about this today and all our flaws because nobody's a perfect feminist. Everyone's just trying. Everyone's just muddling through, yeah. through trying to figure out what the hell's going on yeah. and trying to be happy as often as they can. I think so. That's think that's so. that's all. And yeah. the sooner everyone acknowledges that, the yeah. more we can all just be happy with what we've got. And I'm really glad you didn't let that asshole bring you down. Oh my God, no. Yeah, I'm really glad that you, our powerful woman... Got there in the end. You got there in the end. You mm. work on yourself. You go to therapy. You are trying to make yourself a better person. Yeah. And that is amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Go, Sashi. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> High five. High five. All right. Thank you for coming on my podcast. And I can't wait to see you around town doing comedy. Comedy. Stand up. Thank you for having All me. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Hey, hey, hey.